Who are you that I have to prove myself to by killing my child? A baby! Or you will return to the diseased state I found you in. And I'll slay both of you! If this is yours, as you said, then you take it out of the key. You can't? Then this isn't yours. And the keep is a prison to contain you. And you have lied, exploited, deceived. And you are the same evil as outside this place. So you prove yourself to me. You take it out of here. You yourself. Take it. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. So we've got our second episode here for our Halloween slate for the spookening. Uh, We are looking at 1983's The Keep, which is from uh, director Michael Mann. Michael Mann you would probably recognize from uh, a lot of movies he's done. He did the the first Hannibal Lecter movie, Manhunter. So before uh, Anthony Hopkins had that role. Brian Cox played a very different type of Hannibal Lecter in a Manhunter movie that was very Miami Vice, from what I remember, uh, because Michael Mann created Miami Vice. Um, So he also did that. He did Last of the Mohicans. He did Heat. He did Public Enemies. And he did many other movies, uh, The Insider, Ali, and a bunch of other stuff. So this is what we're looking at here. It is like a, a horror fantasy and man uh, kind of considered it sort of like an adult fairy tale in how he approached it and how he shot it. Um, the plot, such that it is, is like there's a uh, like a castle, uh, which is referred to as the keep, that is holding in some kind of entity, and the Nazis uh, arrive. Uh, where are they at? They in Poland. Transylvania. Carpathian Alps. Yeah, Romania, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in Eastern Europe, I don't know. But uh so they're uh they're in this like little village and they they take it over and then eventually they uh they let loose this uh this evil force um and shit starts to go down. Um so that's kind of the basic plot and we can get into more specifics as we go along. So, uh, other things to note, uh, the music is by Tangerine Dream, the synth group Tangerine Dream, who was uh, popular in the 80s and did a number of soundtracks. Um, The failure of this movie actually led Michael Mann to uh, head to TV, which then resulted in the creation of Miami Vice. And uh, this is actually the first American Hollywood theatrical feature film for both Sir Ian McKellen and uh, Jurgen now I may be messing up his name, Jurgen. I don't know. That is the guy from Das Boot. So he was in Das Boot as the uh, submarine captain in 81, and so that kind of put him on the map. Um, and then this, they picked him up for this movie, and then he's popped up in other things as like heroes and villains uh, throughout the years. Other people in this movie, uh, like notable people, Scott Glenn is in this movie as a completely mysterious character i have no idea what scott glenn is doing in this movie uh and then uh jürgen now ian mckellen and gabriel byrne um 
shows up as uh, an SS officer or, or some kind of Nazi officer. Um, and then uh, Robert Prosky is, uh, is a priest who you probably wouldn't know by name, but you would recognize him. He was a character actor who was in a lot of stuff, particularly in the 80s. He was in Gremlins 2 as the TV host that is going around and recording all of the Gremlin stuff. So he plays a uh, kind of a goofy uh, Grandpa Munster type character in that. He is a very sinister character in uh, The Natural. He's like the villain in The Natural. He was the uh, TV executive that put uh, Mrs. Doubtfire on the air when Robin Williams does his little like break dancing brontosaurus shit and whatever. So uh, he uh, he popped up in a lot of stuff in the 80s and 90s, uh, so you'd recognize him as a very grandfatherly figure. And this is probably the earliest movie I have seen him in. Um, there's a f- handful of other people, but I, I like, did, did anyone recognize the lady from anything? Because I did not. She looked familiar, but it no. wasn't anything I put my finger on. Yeah. Um, I can look her up here in a moment as we get going to see if there was anything. Um but anyway, so that's uh, that's kind of the basic background stuff. There's some things to go into on the production, but I'll save that until we get going. Uh, so as far as our cast goes, so we are uh, we are bringing back a number of individuals here for our Halloween episode, and we've got uh, Jimmy returning after a bit of an absence. So welcome, Jimmy. Thanks. Uh, actually, this film was my one. Uh blind spot in the michael mann filmography yeah so this was a nice opportunity to fill that one in um especially since it's so completely different than like any other movie that he's made correct all right uh we also have uh jimmy's brother nate rejoin us who's been on a number of our movies uh particularly usually bad films i think um so uh so nate can let us know whether that or not that streak has continued (laughs) <laughs> thanks for having me uh you were on bone I mean, tomahawk though right that one's good yeah i you threw me a bone tomahawk and let me watch bone tomahawk <laughs> oh. with you so. and this will be nate's final episode everyone <laughs> hey keep me around right here <laughs> <laughs> been been great knowing y'all uh, i appreciate the uh, time and uh have a good Halloween. <laughs> no uh thanks for having me all right well thanks for being here and uh noted uh horror enthusiast uh david is rejoining us once again because we can't have the halloween season without david appearing on at least one episode so uh, welcome to thank you for having me um it i mean that's what they say it's not halloween without david yes <laughs> david also has an actual working microphone now that's uh he he will not sound like he is like uh recording from a paper mill um like he usually does <laughs> <laughs> yay so uh thank you yes so we uh, we got him a hookup a friend of ours uh, got him a mic so uh going forward he should sound pretty good all right so uh yeah not a lot of background kind of stuff um but uh, yeah, this is a Michael Mann movie from the early 80s. It was a big old box office failure. There is something of a cult, uh, you know, cult status attached to it. Although I'm kind of leery of that because I tend to see that get thrown around sometimes on like Wikipedia or IMDb. And I always wonder like, is this just put on here by somebody who likes the movie? Because like, is like, because like, I feel like a cult movie, you have to actually have like stuff has to be built up. It has to kind of genuinely like, 
get to a point where like, oh, now we care about this thing. So like the big Lebowski became a cult movie and now it's just become like a classic comedy. Like it surpassed that even, I think. Um, and well, you know, here's the thing, uh, like Rocky horror. Yeah. If you write an article on the keep on Wikipedia, you're probably one of the few people that enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So in your mind, yeah, it's a cult yeah. movie. <laughs> I mean, yes, if you're in a cult and you enjoyed the movie The Keep, then uh, perhaps. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've just never, I mean, I'll, I'll be up front. Like, so I picked this movie. I knew nothing about it. The only, I picked this movie on the strength of its poster. So I did this old, like, video store uh, rental style. I had come across this poster before, uh, the image of it. It just says The Keep, and it's huge letters, and it's, like, styled to make it look like this giant building. And I think I did see an image of the creature in it. And I was like, okay, it looks kind of cool. But I didn't initially know that it was Michael Mann. And I didn't know any of the cast in it at all. Um, so I was very surprised when I started skimming it and seeing like, oh, fuck, Ian McKellen's in this? And Gabriel Byrne? Um, and then, uh, and I didn't know it had anything to do with Nazis. So uh, it uh, it had a lot of surprises in store for me. Um, and then we will talk about all of those, but yeah, so I, uh, but, but to my point, I've never heard anyone talk up this movie or be like, oh, this is an undiscovered gem or, or it's cool or whatever. Uh, so I just kind of a random, similar to last year, we looked at, uh, the deadly spawn, which was also another movie that was like, oh, that poster's weird and cool. Let's see what this is all about. And the deadly spawn was a mixed bag, but had enough to be enjoyable. Um, so we are, we're rolling the dice here on the keep. So let's uh, open up the floor here. And what did we make of the keep? I would say uh, calling it a mixed bag is pretty accurate. Um, I actually it was funny when Nate and I were uh, able to watch most of this together. And when we started it, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like a medieval uh, kind of like movie just based on a couple of still images that I saw clearly those still images did not have Nazis in it uh, and you know from like shot one you see the tanks and he's like you you sure it's medieval like starting to second guess myself may have been and then the tanks roll then the tanks roll into a medieval town pretty much and you're like oh now I don't know what's happening <laughs> maybe you yeah. were right there's a there, there's a, a lot of choices were made in this movie. Uh, I can't say all of them were good. It was it was an interesting watch. There was uh, uh there was some good fun bits. A lot of it had me going. I I don't think this is landing. I don't think this is working well. I think that's the most interesting thing about this movie is like if this was some director that had like three films to his name and this was one of them. And it's like, ah, it's a weird movie that, you know, kind of has some stuff going on with it. But the fact that it's Michael Mann, who's like very known for like hyper real, you know, film, uh, you know, filmmaking, you know, the characters are in very real settings. He's not really into like a fantasy or, you know, sci-fi kind of genre and to have this or horror or horror yeah like and to have this on here like yeah you have the nazis but i think that's where this kind of is a weird feel is like i think he does have some interesting shot compositions and like choices around some of this like fantasy and like even the music is very interesting um but then he does 
keep the Nazis very realistic as well. And some of the things that they do, the the villagers, like he makes them out to be very, uh, you know, unlikable Nazis, which, you know, isn't, isn't hard. So opposed to all those (laughs) likable Nazis, right, Jimmy? (laughs) They try to make one Nazi semi likable in this. And I, every time they did, I was like, are we supposed to like yeah, that Nazi? No. <laughs> Still don't like him. <laughs> he at least recants at some point, but still, it's a... They try to make him less bad. It's like, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> the shocker is I it mean, was that's... Jürgen that was the uh, the one that they tried to make less bad, and he's like, that guy's clearly evil. <laughs> <laughs> I did... This movie did have a, a problem with it, I felt where through most of it, I like Ian McKellen's character later was just like, so where's the bad in this bad guy? He's killing Nazis. I, I, I think I'm on his side for most. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about the villain motivations. Cause that's, that's definitely a problem. I think. Uh, so I think both of you uh, touched on your kind of initial thoughts, Nate, where are you at on it? Oh, well, you mean like you kind of said that it, people call it a cult film, but it isn't got a cult to follow <laughs> it. Um, and then you mentioned that you also said that, like, I don't know people who talk about this. I don't think people think, you know, people aren't writing about it. But having watched it, I agree with everybody in saying it is interesting. It's one of those movies that you sit there and ponder as it's happening. You're like... Why did they do that? Why is this happening? And so it's actually a really engaging film in that regard. If I had paid money to go see it, would I have been happy with my experience? But will it stick with me going forward? It'll it'll pop up in my head as like a, a film I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for myself, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll go along as we go, you know, with talking like positives here and there. But I will say that I did not enjoy this film. And if, uh, if other people, uh, you know, are, are more mixed bag on it, that's fine. Um, and then that's not to say there's nothing of value in it, but I was pretty consistently bored, which is amazing for a movie that features Nazis unearthing a secretly like a secret evil monster from like beneath the ground. Like that should be a slam dunk. If nothing else, it should be fun. You're in Indiana Jones, you're in Hellboy territory. There should be a lot of stuff that you can play with, and yet it somehow makes all of that really boring. And that's that's for me the biggest crime of this movie. Cause like I said, I went in knowing nothing, and then I was like, oh man, it's got this great cast, and there's this weird monster, and the Nazis are involved, and it's like, okay, we're gonna maybe it's gonna be this pulpy kind of thing, and it was not. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not the worst movie by far we've done on this show. Um, but it was not something, you know, by the end I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's an hour and a half and it's still, I was just kind of like pulling teeth to get through most of it. Um, that's, that's where I landed. It it also was one of those movies that uh, has a blurb that says it was originally like three hours long. It was three and a half hours long. Three, yeah. And like, that's one of those cut. things of like, I mean, you can definitely see where they cut things out because it was choppy. The music was choppy. The sound was choppy. The scenes were choppy, especially towards the end. But at the same time, I never once found myself like, 
eh, if you throw another hour on this, I'm sure it was better, right? Right. Like there was not, there wasn't a whole lot there to say. Like, oh yeah, if you if you piece this together and did a director's cut, I think there's something here. Yeah, I don't. The I, I mean, I yeah, the the cut the cuts of it, the stuff that they butchered. You know, they it did. Like I can talk about this later, but basically, it didn't it didn't do well. Well, he was obligated to deliver a two hour movie, so he had a two hour cut. And then that didn't do well. So the studio cut it down to like 95 minutes. Um, but even so, like, yeah, what you're saying, Jimmy, what I'm seeing, I'm sure there's stuff that got cut that would have made things make more sense. But I wasn't enjoying the 95 minutes, so I can't imagine I would enjoy the three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. The um, part of it was the uh, effects guy. Yeah. Uh, died while making this movie so um like there wouldn't really be a possibility of a fully finished one because um from what i understand uh it was already over uh budget it was uh past the schedule and then the effects coordinator dies during post-production and they were like all right what we're just gonna deal with what we have well, not not entirely. I mean, you're you're right, but from what I read, yeah. So he the guy dies. It was like I think a couple weeks into post production, so they'd shot everything and they were starting to do the effects. Um, but it says according to Michael Mann, he had to finish 260 shots of special effects himself after that person's death because they didn't know what the guy had planned for things. So I don't think that Jeez. I don't think that screwed up uh, the three hour the three hour and three and a half hour cut was never going to happen based on the studio anyway. So I don't know yeah. why Michael Mann shot a version for that when he knew he was not able to do anything. I mean, if you do a half hour over, okay. And then pare it down, but he shot three and a half. He had to do two hours, but yeah, like, so that, that probably screwed them up, but they still, they still completed effect shots. So it's not like, Oh, we can't use this because he's dead and nobody can do it. They did complete the effects, but some of the effects were probably going to be better or something if it was under the other guy. I do like the the studio hated this movie. Michael Mann hates this movie, not enough to completely take his name off of it and like put Alan Smithy or something, but does not like this movie, does not talk about it. And the author of the novel that it's based on, uh, went, I wasn't able to find a copy of it, but went in so far as to make his own comic book of it and straight up say, this is what I wanted the movie to be. <laughs> Cause he hates yeah. it. Everyone involved in this movie, hated it. including the audience. I bet yeah. Robert Frost. <laughs> F Paul Wilson was the name of the author mm-hmm. and his claim to fame is he writes like he's a, he's a practicing osteopath osteopathic medicine a doctor of osteopathic medicine but he like writes a a novel a year and it's based off of like his character called like the fixer or something and i i I was just reading about him on wikipedia and it's like you read one of these fixer novels and his outspoken libertarian views are present in all of these books and so like oh okay well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess I'll look into that sometime. See, that's what this, this movie needed. Yeah. The question. The question could help <laughs> <Yeah>. this movie. <laughs> this this was also... The Keep is the first in a six-part uh, cycle. Ah. Is the adversary cycle. 
which I have not read them, but I'm confused as to how anything from this book carries over into another book. Well, or, spoiler yeah. alert, the villain just gets shoved back in the keep, so he, he's all <laughs> Darth Vader at the end. He's still out there. Yeah, that was the other thing I read, is that uh, Michael Mann read the book and didn't particularly like love it, but was like, I want to do this uh, fairy tale, like, Nazi kind of movie. And so he... <laughs> really didn't leverage the book's material all that much. It sounded like there was a ton that was changed, which explains why the author is not a fan of it. And, yep. you know, because the movie itself was also pretty bad, the author can continue to crap on it. And it's not like Stephen King crapping on The Shining, where it's like, come on, Stephen. Like, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> He's He is very wrong. Yeah. Something I wanted to throw in there, like, Linton, when you mentioned that you hated it throughout. I was actually bought in and progressively disliked it more as I went along. Yeah, I, like I, I don't want to say. Tenor... Yeah, I don't want to say like I I hated it from the word go, but I was I was disappointed with the elements that they had. That it once the monster showed up, I was like, okay, maybe it's gonna get cool. And it and when he was smoky and Skeletor like, yeah, yeah, like there were there were some moments, but I thought like, oh, maybe we'll we'll kick into gear, but it just never got I, there. But I was I was the the monster didn't help. The monster really? for me, yeah. like the atmosphere of the first ten or fifteen minutes of like them revealing the the spookiness of the keep all the way up until the first Nazi gets decimated and the second one just gets kind of like blown against the wall. Um, I was like, all right, I'm in. And then I saw like the smoke version of this guy. And I'm like, that looks stupid. And then I saw like the nod smoke version of the guy. And I was like, put the smoke back on. (laughs) The smoke version of the guy looked amazing. (laughs) I thought it was was a very cool effect. I I got a, I I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know that it came off as like scary, but I thought it was a very cool effect. And they did missed effects throughout the movie that were really cool. All right, well, let's since we're in this zone, let's talk about the the effects and the look of it because I think that's something we probably can all give some positives on. Would be my guess mm. of the monster or of the movie itself. Uh, and we can talk, yeah, all effects. Yeah. And, I mean, and I think the look. I think the the keep itself and like the setting had a very interesting tone, mm-hmm. and like the way they had it set up with. Uh, I don't think they were actually crosses. They looked like more like T's, but you find yeah. out later that it's the, what the same shape of the amulet that is keeping the monster in the keep. Um, but just the fact that it was set up against like this little town in Romania, I think they shot in Romania and had a very um, interesting setting. And I think they did a pretty good job there. It was mm-hmm. just what they filmed in that setting that, you know, yeah, left something to the be design- desired. The design of the crosses and the way they differentiated between the mostly nickel crosses and the uh, one silver one, that was really cool. I dug that scene and the way uh, the lights were, the way the light reflected off of the silver one. Um, uh, Yeah, I liked a lot of the design of the keep when you saw it, uh, when it wasn't just you're in a dark room, but when you saw bigger, wider things. But then... uh, all the smoke effects were great. The kills could have been better. Like, one Nazi's head gets blown up, and that's beautiful. I was like, hell yeah! I want to see more of this! And then I don't. 
You're talking about the, the one when they, like, go through that, uh, I don't know, when he crawls through the thing and he pulls them back out? Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. And, I think it was the Nazi that uh, was trying to uh, have his way with, yeah. what was it, Ava? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, that was very uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Very, Nazis' yeah. faces started to, like, melt and catch fire and shit. Yeah. That was cool. I wish I could have seen more gruesome deaths in this movie because we really don't see them. You see the aftermath of them, but you don't see them. And, um, like, I don't need to see. I, I didn't want this to be a gore fest or anything. But Sounds like you did. Little, you, you did. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, you I, won't turn down a gore fest to be. Gory keep is what he wanted. <laughs> I, I'm not actually. I don't like. Uh, I don't like um, like the Hostel or Saw movies. Those are too. Those far. are torture but, porn. Yeah. That's different. Yeah, but like this could have been '80s gore. I wanted '80s gore, especially considering who was dying. Yeah. Like, um, there, there's a point where it's like, oh, there has been a massacre, and almost all the Nazis are now dead, and their bodies are burnt on the ground. And I was like, oh. Did I did I miss a cool scene? No, no, they just didn't show us the cool scene. That's in the three and a half hour cut. See, I just pictured David <laughs> if he was a character in this movie, walking up after they're all singed with like a thing of popcorn and just going, "Oh, <laughs> I was like three minutes too late." <laughs> dressed in like dressed in like you know Carpathian. No, he would, he would still be in the cutoff team. No. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> um. The mist effects, though, are what got me, like, throughout. Um, whenever they did smoke effects, whether it be the weird smoke coming back into the hole or the smoke rolling through the hallway or the monster being enveloped in smoke, all of that, I was like, they they did really well with that. It looked cool when there was weird electricity crap going through it. Wonderful. It The electricity crap wouldn't have looked cool without the smoke there. Um, but yeah, the more you see the monster though, the, the, the more it's just like, oh, please don't talk. Please don't move your mouth. Please don't talk. In fact, can you go back into the smoke and just be an (laughs) ethereal thing? Yeah, I, I agree that the smoke was some of the best stuff and I liked, I liked, uh, those practical effects. I just, that smoke version of him kind of, I guess what I noticed was he very much seemed like he was on a dolly. And he just kind of rolled into a room, and then like one arm kind of kicks up, and it's like you know he did this very, Spike Lee very kind of <laughs> no, <laughs> just uh, like, like Andre the Giant as uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just very kind of stilted. And then when I when when he came out, you could see they like had an articulating mouth of like I will kill everyone. I was like, oh no. <laughs> So the the smoke or mist that we're referring to, yeah, the, the my favorite effect in this movie is something I've never seen done before. And so either Michael Mann figured out how to do this or this was in the two-week window before that guy died. But it was uh, before the monster has, like, formed a body. There's, like, a, a smoke effect, a mist effect that eventually, like, goes in and, like, burns the Nazis' faces off. Um, and then eventually it is like half smoke, half body, and then eventually gets a body and stuff. Um, but there's just this shot where it's like down a hallway and it's like 
looks like a corridor kind of thing under this uh, castle. So it's all like creepy, weird looking. Um, but the smoke like pours in on itself. And so it's moving like the camera is moving towards something or something is moving toward the camera, however they shot it and then superimposed it later on this other footage. But it's like the smoke is like rolling in that they're like sucking it into some kind of tube or something. And it's just kind of like a self perpetuating. Like if anyone saw the movie, nope, actually, it kind of vaguely reminded me of the way of, of an aspect of that. I won't spoil anything, but of an aspect of that. And uh, but so the way the, the smoke just kind of pulls in on itself, I was like, that's a super cool effect and looks very bizarre and looks so different from how you usually see smoke in movies or mist, which is just blah, just a big bunch of, you know, like like fog machine smoke. Um, so I thought that was really cool. It gave a presence and was super neat. And then yeah, it was yeah. like it was traveling. Right. Rather yeah. Than just... Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, the, the villain, the look of the villain. The villain's name is... It's like Malastar or something. Ma- Malasar, Malasar, Radu Malasar. And actually, uh, so the, the guy who played the villain is Michael Carter, who no one would know by name, but you would know him by one of his other characters. He is the actor who played Bib Fortuna in, uh, Return of the Jedi, and he actually, I was very surprised this, he was actually just in House of the Dragon, the HBO series House of the Dragon. Um, he showed up in that as like the old king in the first episode when, when the old king is like figuring out who he's going to bequeath his kingdom to. Um, so that's actually Bib Fortuna in the first episode of uh, House of the Dragon. And then he's Call here him as... by his uh, most famous role. You can say that's actually Radu Malasar. Yes, clearly. <laughs> so let's talk about Molasar. Uh We can talk about his look and can get into plot stuff later. Didn't like it. You remember uh, one of those, you guys ever have one of those like rubber toys that, you know, like look kind of cool as a kid? And I think there might have actually been some Star Wars ones made of them. I remember I specifically mm-hmm. had one that just... It might have been a Star Wars one. Like the like the wrestlers? Yeah, but like yeah. their arms can kind of move, but it's like you move their arms and they just look like they're broken arms because mm. they're so rubbery. That's what I kind of would relate that monster to is he just kind of stands there in rubber and it looks like if he's going to move his arms, like they're just going to be very awkward and they don't really fit quite right. To paint a picture of what I say did you ever see the uh, Treehouse of Horror special, The Simpsons, with the gas that turns you inside yes. out? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, th- this man was turned inside out by some inside out gas. <laughs> it might be what was billowing around him. Uh, and what's left is a a mask that uh, like has a hand One in it. One just kind of chorus line of people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They, he kind of had three looks. Yeah. There's just glowing glowing eyes and mouth in in mist which also had like the one hand comes out and it's all weird electrical mm-hmm. like you see red electricity as his bones which was real a really nice shot and i was excited to see more of that and i didn't <laughs> and then there's the inside out man which i thought looked cool until he moved or tried to talk which was not in sync but the inside out man with the skull face uh which is kind which I guess is a little bit similar to uh, what Stranger Things yeah, just fact, did. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in all blues and reds, 
dug it. And then when he finally fully forms in his final form, he looks so dumb. Like, like just he looks like a uh, mus- Power Rangers villain. <laughs> he does, and with with like overly muscular, yeah. but with with like craggy rocks, yeah, that are made out of him. It was particularly oh, uh, like it, it hit me when um, at the end Scott Glenn shows up with his like I don't know sword or cane or something that he puts the pendant on. It was just very like Power Rangers esque of like now we have our sword and it's like doo, 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 doo. he like points it at him <laughs> no sparks fly everywhere <laughs> so yeah the uh, the looks uh, yeah I agree I uh, I was also picking up the Vecna look because he uh, not only is he like similar in terms of build but he has these things where it's kind of like it builds off of his like head down mm-hmm. to his neck where he has like what are, what are the hell are these muscles called. Uh, you know, where it's like built up in a crazy way in like that no human would be traps. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like that, like Vecna has, um, I also, I think Vecna was pulling from swamp thing, Wes Craven swamp thing look. Um, cause they were also doing nightmare on Elm street a bit in that season. Um, but I also thought before he assumed the Vecna form, uh, he looked a lot like the attack on Titan creatures when he was the mm. inside out creature uh version um so uh I, I you know i think vecna is possibly partly inspired by this because i'm sure they're like going through a bunch of old fucking vhs tapes to see what they can steal for the next season but uh i, I doubt attack on titan was taking from uh from the keep what was everyone's favorite version of the bad guy was it the inside out or was it smoky Pro- probably inside out Nah, for uh, me it was the the ethereal just g- gas. <laughs> well, I like that. I like that look, but or that effect. But yeah, he's only that for like five seconds. I like the uh, smoky for the couple of seconds we get it, and then the inside out uh, better until he starts talking. The traps thing. How did the nineteen ninety Swamp Thing movie do that on USA? Do that better than this movie? But uh, the yeah, to that his final form's real bad. Well, that's so why bad. Michael Mann didn't make another horror movie, right? <laughs> I do think there are some other good shots in here, though, not just effects-wise, but like there's some times where they just really set the scene and make some things look cool and dreamlike. Um, some stuff gets in like slow motion, which I don't think necessarily works real great for the plot, but like just presents kind of an interesting image. And the one that really grabbed me from the beginning which kind of made me wonder, man, how did they do this? Um, and I'm sure it's something real fucking simple, but when the Nazi guys who are trying to like, they're, they're trying to get to Satan's gold or whatever the fuck they're trying to do to steal uh, some kind of story of like, oh, there's hidden treasure. So they bust open this thing with the silver cross. And then there's like this passageway. And this is the guy that gets torn in half. Um, but he crawls out through a hole and you can see him. And then the camera pulls back and he's like there. It's like a physical actor. So my guess is they like were shooting that probably in some big space so that they could pull back crazy. And then they superimposed the next bit I'm going to talk about below it. But it still was like very seamlessly done. They pull back and you see this like immense cavern space below him. 
and you see these like runes and these big pillars and shit and you know that it's like some kind of unholy space and it was a very cool effect i had to like rewind it to like get another look at what they were doing so that was incredibly impressive um and so moments like that grabbed me but yeah, then that, virtu- that was virtually probably, nothing with the story did that was probably my favorite shot in the whole in the whole movie just because same you know the way they pull back especially in like 1983 you know you couldn't just do it all on a computer so yeah they had to figure out what to do and you know, like it it gave you a sense of scale oh because you could still sure. see the guy even though he was you know minutely small in the distance and it made you feel like you were miles off by the time yeah. you get to the end of it and then and then you have molazar in some form shoot out towards where that guy is wave in the background Mm -hmm. and he starts in the foreground at these runes and stuff and kind of shoots out towards them and they hold on that as it gets smaller and smaller and is moving towards that guy you're like oh man what's going to happen now it kind of added some suspense or tension there in those first couple of minutes that i was like oh this is kind of this is a cool thing it's invoking when almost like thinking about it now it almost calls to mind the original alien like when they find the immense space with all of the eggs, the big chamber and everything. And there's just like, I remember there's a big shot where you see the, you know, the crew, crew members, a couple crew members walking and you can see this big space. So it gives vibes of that. And then, um, you know, doesn't do anything with it, unfortunately. You know, the other thing it reminds me of in that I, uh, Hellraiser 2, when they go to inside of the uh, tes- Tesseract, uh, uh let uh lament uh lament configuration lament configuration puzzle box and puzzle box right and it's these huge hallways you know you're walking down it's very dreamlike things are you know like you said in slow motion makes me wonder if there was any kind of i don't know if anybody references this movie like stylistically or if it's just a, a dead end <laughs> but it invoked memories of uh hellraiser 2 for me uh in that Ah, uh, David is once again. David has exactly what he's referring to within <laughs> hand's reach of his recording. Either that, or he just has an assistant off-screen every time to just <laughs> hand him something and thank you thing. All right, so uh, those were the good things about the movie. What else? It's a bold move to have a movie where um, the first time you meet the non-Nazi protagonist is 35 minutes in. Who's that? Like, Scott Glenn? Or, uh, uh, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, Scott Yeah, Glenn. would you consider that Scott Glenn or Ian McKellen? Ian McKellen, I guess? Yeah. Uh, and Kuza? Like, I don't know what the fuck Scott Glenn is doing in this movie. <laughs> uh, I, also, what nationality is he supposed to be? <laughs> Alien, uh, he, timeless. He's as old as the. Uh, he's as old and connected to uh, Malusar. But old people still have accents. So, like, what nationality <laughs> oh, no, no, is he no, no, supposed no. to be? I, I know the we're same talking nationality about... as the monster. Yeah, they they are two sides of the same coin. Um, did the movie tell us this? No, not really. His eyes lit up. And we so we knew he was magical in some way, but that he, that's all we got. When he was asked where he was from, he did say, "I'm a traveler." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so that's did it. Gozer. So, 
My my take on that character when he about the time he was riding a bike through the woods towards the keep <laughs> was like maybe what's happening here is Michael Mann is being too true to the source material and there's like a half formed subplot or a, like a subplot that was built out in the actual book that he's trying to give justice to because there's payoff and that's why he has to do these things like there's got to be the scene where the guy's riding through the woods on the bike. And that's not true. You could have chopped that out, but then you'd have an hour-long movie. (laughs) It was very important, though, for this uh, ancient force of good, if that's what we're to believe Scott Glenn's character is, this ancient force of good to have an extended sex scene with uh, Eva Kuza. So that that was was vital to the plot. Some of the cut scenes were them interacting more before that to establish some sort of relationship there as opposed to the movie which is hi i'm standing in your room as a surprise now we're gonna go have a picnic and now we're having the most awkward 80s movie sex i i they 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 both do a jesus christ pose (laughs) while holding hands and no no uh no torso movement at all during any of it either no movement just just a tantric staying perfectly still while doing a Jesus Christ pose face to face because that's <laughs> romance god damn it I added I, I was like oh my god I've been doing it wrong this whole time that that's what you're <laughs> supposed to do <laughs> it did have the classic 80s sex scene uh, trope though of at the end just drifting the camera drifting off to the wall behind them so my my favorite part about the uh, awkward sex scene was what came before it because it was one of those instances where like Ian McKellen had just seen the smoke monster and like told his daughter to go away and it's it like it seemed like he was telling her like leave Romania and instead she like walked a couple blocks to the neighbor inn and before she he she left he was like go find a man, right? And like, be happy was literally what he said. And then she walks into this inn and there's purple eyed Scott Glenn. And like, they immediately within a minute go to kissing. And then a man, another minute later boning. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure Ian McKellen as a dad would have preferred her to at least go to the next town before she found the man he was referring to. I do have to say, I was always disappointed in the follow-up Purple-Eyed Scott Glenn after Cotton-Eyed Joe. was a much better song, (laughs) the first one. Ian McKellen does get angry at Scott Glenn's character when he meets him. When did he Uh, meet him? (laughs) Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, he is. Towards the end. Towards the the, end. When he's, like, trying to, yeah. It's not white when he um it's not at the very end when he's trying to uh actually save the monster but it's when Ian McKellen's already been healed by the monster and is kind of on the monster's side and Scott Glenn's like no that's a bad idea and he's like fuck off and stop fucking my daughter I did like that Ian McKellen is 43 in this movie and yet is still playing a character that looks 110. <laughs> so, That's what tipped us off. Wait, That's wait. what tipped us off. <laughs> he, 
he's 43 in this? No, he's 43 in real life when he shot it. Yeah. Um, but uh, they say he's 48. The daughter said, because like at first he's just introduced, he's just Ian McKellen as an old man in makeup. And I was like, like, because we're so used to seeing Ian McKellen like, that play. That looks like him today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, that's so weird that like 40 years ago, there was, did they just typecast him of like, oh, you've got an old man face, so you just play old men. <laughs> but then they, they reveal that there's actually a story reason that he has some kind of condition that is like prematurely aging him and affecting his body. He's got the and Jack then... symptom. <laughs> yes, yes. Um the the second amazing movie to uh, to go <laughs> into that, uh, but yeah, so the the villain or whatever the monster ends up curing him temporarily, and so then he looks like forty three year old Ian McKellen, which still kind of looks like sixty year old anybody else, but <laughs> um, but yeah, so we we get that, uh, and yeah, then the other note I was gonna throw out there because we were talking about the lady, his daughter. Uh, Alberta Watson. So I did look her up a moment ago and she has had a significant career, a lot of stuff in TV and various films and things. Nothing that was popping out at me too much. Uh, apparently she's in hackers. So David, I think you're a hackers fan. So maybe you recognize her from that. Um, but she is the mother in Hedwig and the angry inch. So I would recognize her from Mm. that, but her biggest role is she was actually the lead in La Femme Nikita. Uh, oh. the TV show. So, uh, huh. which I, you know, I remember back in the nineties and stuff. So, uh, yeah. So we were talking about Ian McKellen. Did yeah. anyone think his performance was okay? It was pretty rough for Ian McKellen. Yeah. I wrote down, why is Ian McKellen doing an old man, Harrison Ford accent? <laughs> Ian McKellen was the best part acting wise of this movie i would Ah, disagree i think think gabriel byrne was playing a good creepy nazi he was in it for like five minutes well no uh ian mckellen chews the scenery a lot more when i when i first Uh, saw gabriel byrne i was like gabriel byrne is a nazi because isn't he irish yeah like heavily irish but i i think he pulled it off i think he did a pretty good job yeah haircut yeah he played a great nazi and like like he was creepy. He was evil. He, with the haircut, he looked like, um, he, uh, looked like, uh, pink and pink Floyd's the wall towards the end. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 Um, but, but the Nazis also had those haircuts to be, but yes, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I think Gabriel Burns performance was, subdued for a super evil Nazi. It was sort sort of like, especially for the movie it was in, where, you know, at one point he's like murdering his cohort and all this stuff and just kind of like, oh, but then maybe I was checked out by that point. But anyway, I, I can agree that Ian McKellen was like going all over the place with his acting. I And when he was playing an old man, I couldn't understand him. I didn't know what he was saying. When he got to normal 43-year-old Ian McKellen, I was like, oh, okay. I I understand what you're saying now. I don't understand this movie now. Though, I wasn't so. even <laughs> sure the accent, though, which is what's particularly weird because we think of Ian McKellen like and being a fucking amazing actor. And I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, you would think, oh, well, maybe he's playing a British guy. 
but then based on the way they talk about him makes it seem more so like he would be from the area or something yeah because weren't they in a concentration camp when we first met him yeah i I would assume he was playing like a polish yeah but he definitely was not using that kind of accent and at some point i could have sworn it sounded like he was doing an american accent like not throughout but like at least in a scene and i was like well that that doesn't sound British and that doesn't sound Eastern European. So I hate to rag on Ian McKellen's acting prowess. Uh, I'll just say he got better. <laughs> yeah. Ian McKellen's first time out was a real slog. <laughs> Everything else after uh, that though, you know, not bad. The Better or worse than Scott Glenn. I mean, that might. Did Scott Glenn act? He's did Scott Glenn, I, right? Isn't that how he always acts? <laughs> he, he, not not to go not to go back to the to the sex scene, but I I feel you like very much <laughs> want to go back to the sex scene. There, there was one thing that I didn't get to mention, and it was that. So the very next scene, they're laying in bed and they're like having you know conversations about what has to happen next, and eventually Scott Glenn's character gets tired of the conversation and just puts the, the woman to sleep. He just goes like, sleep. <laughs> and she just like knocks out. And so I'm like, this guy has power over other people to such a degree. Did he just use his power to to bone down? Like in the last, you know, like the reason why it happened in a minute was it like, yes, that'll do. And he, that's how it all started, which makes him even worse as a hero. <laughs> like he's ah sleep ah sleep with me ah. He the, the He has the power of sleep in all of its meanings. <laughs> Including putting me to sleep. <laughs> oh. Hey, the, the motivations in this movie. The the huge leaps in motivations in this movie. Well, Scott Glenn doesn't make any sense except that he's a force of good that's supposed to be the 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 flip side of the villain, I think. But but everything we're watching when he's like interacting with people is just sort of like whatever, I don't give a fuck. But by the end it's like okay, he's the only thing that can stop him. But let's talk about show up. He doesn't show up till what, 50 minutes in? Something like that. But the, I think the bigger one, though, we kind of alluded to it earlier, was uh, Molasar. So let's talk about him and his motivations. What is he? What is the deal with this guy? What like what are we supposed to make of him? And then you brought up the issue with the Nazis, David, because that's another problem watching this movie is like, I should have a clear understanding of what the villain is trying to do or what the villain wants, and I just do not. When... When Molasar first, re- um, Molasar saves Ava from rapist Nazis and kills them. So and leaves her Molasar, and carries her back to her father. Yeah, carries her back to the, her father, and then looks at her father and is just like, "Are you collaborating with them?" And threatens to kill her father. And he's like, "No, they're Nazis and evil. I'm not collaborating. They're forcing me to do this." And he's like, "Oh." Well, then I will heal you. Well, not exactly. And... It, it's even more confusing than that because he, he, he accused him of being a collaborator and Ian McKellen says, like, collaborate with the Nazis? I would never. Kill me if you don't believe me. So he, like, challenges him and then Malasar, like, hits him with shit and you think, <laughs> oh, well, I guess Ian McKellen's out of this movie then because it really makes it look <laughs> like he killed him. But no, then he heals him. So the movie's, like, going back and forth where you think he kills Ian McKellen and then it, he didn't. He made him youthful and healthy. And 
Yeah. And then throughout, Ian McKellen is defending helping the uh, monster, saying the real monster, like, he actually has a line where he's like, no, the real monsters are the Nazis. The monster is solely killing Nazis for most of this movie. Um, in fact... I think he only kills Nazis. Yeah, he he only kills Nazis. The town, you get hints of how crazy they're going due to his influence. But, again, they don't really explain that in the movie. Like, I had to rewind and pause it twice to realize that the priest had killed his dog and was drinking his blood. So did I. I was trying to figure out what the fuck was happening there. Yeah, Robert Prosky was just like, you know, going about his own thing. All of a sudden, like, he's, he's trying to talk sense and, like, you can't do this. This thing's evil. And then the next thing we see him, he, like, they open a door. He's got blood all over his, like, face. And they close it real fast. And you're just like, what? But there what was, is Robert Frost even more. <laughs> there was an even more confusing part where, like, he's been nothing but loving and caring yeah. to Ian McCallan's yeah. character. Oh, yeah. And then he just walks into a scene and he's just like, you suck. I hate everybody. I'm out. And you're like, oh, I, I love, what too, that is going on? they present him as being very devout. And Ian McKellen is presented essentially as an atheist and is not a believer. And, like, they talk about evil. And Ian McKellen's like, it's the evil of mankind and, you know, i.e. the Nazis and stuff. But, yeah, then he walks in later, total 180, which I guess if it's supposed to be the influence of the villain, maybe. But, yeah, he's just like, I was right. You were wrong. God is real. He's just like <laughs> rubbing his face in it. But so, and then he eats his yes. dog. <laughs> so kind of, kind of loses the high ground there. Uh, he drinks his dog's blood out of the uh, out of the uh, communion chalice. Yes, that's a much more respectful. Is that way what was to going on? And, yeah, that's a much more respectful way than like just eating a dog. It was a Something. sacrament. I will say I I read uh, related to that. So the one of the things that hit the cutting room floor was more of seeing these villagers go crazy. Um, and Nate and I had a moment where we were watching it, and like when the Nazis first show up, or Gabriel Byrne first shows up, they're basically doing like an eye for an eye for the Nazis that are killed inside the keep with some villagers, and so they stand them up and you know put him into a line and, and kill three people. And we were like, was that, I think it was Alexander that we Alexander. meet the first, at the very beginning, who's like the keeper of the keep. And he gives the, uh, uh, Jurgen a tour around the keep and is like, don't touch those crosses. But it's mm-hmm. him and his two sons that like are the keepers of the keep. Don't see them at all throughout the movie. So we kind of assumed they might've been the ones that were shot, but I guess, one of the things that hit the cutting room floor was the sons, as part of its influence, killed their father. Which, like, oh. that would have been something that, like, if you had gone on that a little bit, you yeah. kind of saw the evil that was overtaking, you know, like. But it was just definitely one of those things, because I think uh, the guy who played Alexander did a pretty good job of, like, giving you that exposition and, like, setting the scene, and then it's just gone for the rest of the movie. You have no idea where he's at. He played the Ian McKellen role in a regular movie. Like, that's what he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the back to Molossar just for a second, like I just did not get 
I don't know what that what he wanted as a character. So he's just some kind of ancient evil. So if there's a line given of what he's going to do, I mean, it's probably just like armies of darkness will march across the earth or some shit. But like, but it it's very ill-defined. I don't know if he's supposed to be like an entity from like Polish mythology or something. Like, I have no idea what he's supposed to be pulling from or mm-hmm. what, like none of it. Like, give me something to latch on to. You, you assume it's magic based or God based. But they don't even like, I don't know if he's supposed to even be like a demon or anything. So it almost seems like, I mean, it's not this, but it almost feels like Celtic with the way the crosses are and the keep. But that's not the right part of the world. So that can't be what it is. So that's confusing. And then where we talked about that he only killed Nazis, I was really scratching my head at that because you could say, well, maybe he killed Nazis because they were the ones that like disturbed the keep. But the keep is essentially his prison. So he would not give a fuck. He wants out. So that the Nazis blew open the keep, he would be glad about that. Yeah. So why would he be killing them? If the Nazis are killing Polish people, unless he's some sort of Polish deity, why would he give a fuck about that? And really, if he's this ultimate evil, why wouldn't he like look at the Nazis and be like, hey, you're my kind of guys? Like, Why wouldn't he like bond with the Nazis or at the very least use them? Be like, oh, we can partner and then I'll just blow your heads up later or some shit. So, like, his motivations made no sense to me throughout the entire movie. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know, like, well, they're in Romania slash, yeah. And I don't know that uh, he might be a god or something, but uh, that uh, Wilson made up. But he, when he's killing the Nazis, that's the other, like, to to build on that where you were like, he... He tells um, Sir Ian McKellen, his uh, character, that he will go to Berlin and kill all the Nazis. Like, at one point. So, the bad guy in this movie's motivation that we hear, that we are told, is to murder all Nazis. And that's the bad guy. And then it's only, I believe it's only... uh, What's his name? Glacon? Um, oh, Glacken? Uh, Scott Glenn's character. Um, it's only when he says he will spread his darkness throughout. And it's just, oh, okay. I have no reason to trust you. <laughs> I, I, I don't know you as a character yet. All I know is Nazi killing. Yeah, I yeah. think what was missing was like... I think, you know, Ian McKellen and his daughter were supposed to be knowledgeable of the keep and its history. What was missing was some sort of here's the history of this deity kind of thing. And, you know, back in, you know, 500 AD, this took power and did this kind of thing. And it was awful. It was the Black Death, you know, whatever it may be. Right. And if you'd seen that to be like, wow, well, you know. What's what's the great you know the worst of the two evils kind of thing? Then maybe it could have given us a little bit more of that, um, you know. All right, yeah, he's killing Nazis, but if his sole motivation for that is to build up his own strength, because we see him as smoke, then we see him as a skeleton, then we see him in his full form, and they're just you know meat for him to then suck their power in. Then that would be something that would have made a little bit more sense. And again, maybe was part of that three-hour cut. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the connection I needed 
was the reason because I think the layer that's missing is that he he needed somebody to pull that trinket out of the cavern. Mm-hmm. And maybe there was some connection on why it had to be Ian McKellen. It had to be someone pure they, of They heart said something that like that. that it, yeah. No, it had to be it, someone who was corrupted by the... But you could corrupt a Nazi so much easier. <laughs> no, I think it was because Ian McKellen was, like, pure. I think that was... Yeah. I like, think that's what they said. There, but it was very vague. And so... When there was a scene, and I get, I guess that's the context. Like, oh, the guy I'm trying to corrupt hates the other people in this keep. I'll kill all those people, and then he'll trust me, so he'll do what I need him to do. I, I could see the bits there, but at the end of the day, the guy was too earnest to to the screen. Mm-hmm. Like, I need, I need a little bit of a wink, like a little bit of a, a <laughs> I'm tricking him because when he's like. When he finds out that the Nazis are killing people, he's like, I will kill them all. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go like, Molisar. I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to start. That's, that's what we need. I, we need a comic need... book cover of uh, Molisar just punching uh, Hitler <laughs> like Captain America. Um, I was thinking about getting Molisar's uh, face with Molisar was right. <laughs> I think yeah, um, that's what this is missing is like the setting up of stakes kind of like, and I know we'd mentioned there was a couple things that kind of were akin to Raiders of the Lost Ark, but what it's missing is that scene in Raiders where the two government guys come up and then Indy gives them the whole history of the Ark, right? Yeah. To give the audience an understanding of like, oh, this is why we're going after this thing, right? And that could have been done by Ian McKellen you well, know, to, crazy- another, to a Nazi even. Here's the crazy thing. Earlier, you mentioned we, we've gone back and forth here a few times, but uh, a few minutes ago, Jimmy, you mentioned like that Ian McKellen was being brought in because he was like an expert. Yeah. But the which is what it seems like. But the movie actually undercuts that. So the priest, mm-hmm. the priest is like going to be killed by the Nazis, and they're like, "What does this say?" And he's like, "That's not any language. That's not real language." And he's like, "Oh, you tell us how to translate this, or I'll kill you." He's like, well, there's this one guy who's a professor, and he might know, but he's in a death camp. And so they bring, oh, right, Ian, right, McKe- right. Yeah. They bring Ian McKellen and the daughter, and Ian McKellen is actually able to translate it. He He's saying, like, it says this, but it's like a merging of different languages, and it hasn't been spoken in, you know, like thousands of years or something. Anyway, so he I've gives that it. bit of information, but then... When they're like privately back in a room, it's like Ian McKellen and his daughter and the priest who got him there. Ian McKellen's like, it's played almost like a heist movie. He's like, oh, I don't know what you did to get me out of that camp, but thanks. Like, like he's acting like it's a fake, like there's a fake out. Yeah. And he's like saying that like he doesn't know anything, that he doesn't know any story about some creature bear. Like none of, he's unaware of any of it. He was able to translate it somewhat, or he says he can, but he doesn't know anything. And then, so he just like, basically it was like the priest friend just saw an opportunity to get Ian McKellen out of a death camp, which, okay, cool. And then it's like, all right, now we got to get you away from here, which like also cool. But it basically makes it that Ian McKellen is just there by happenstance and then ends up getting roped in. So he's not even, he's not Indiana Jones. He's not even Marcus Brody. He doesn't know anything. (laughs) They, uh, gets lost in his own keep. (laughs) Yeah. They mentioned a plan of, in two days, we're going to send you over to this area to look at some books, but we'll have a guy there to get you to Greece. Yeah. Like, the um, 
Also, you know why isn't movie... the priest going with him? Because, yeah, yeah, he's not Jewish, but just get the fuck out of there. You know what does... Watching this movie, I had the thought of, wow, Rawhead Rex did this better. It does have very Rawhead Rex vibes. That's, I think, why yeah. I brought up the Celtic thing. Yeah, Lair of the White Worm and Rawhead Rex both have uh, ancient evils being unearthed and monsters coming from it. And we understand their stakes. We understand their motivations. Yeah, I think long and short of it, we're trying to make sense of a movie that is nonsensical. And it's an exercise in futility. (laughs) Uh, But it's got a cult following. Yeah. I, I just... I'm also very confused as to why uh, Jurgen Prochnow's Warman has the arc he has. We haven't talked about him at all because at the end of the day, he gets a lot of screen time. But like, really, it's Ian McKellen, Molazar, and Scott Glenn's characters that are like, and he gets so much context that he just kind of piddles away. The first 35 minutes of this movie are just him. Like, yeah. he is the main character of this movie, being a Nazi who doesn't want to hurt people too bad. Like, he's fine <laughs> with sending Jews to... Like, his character is fine with sending Jewish people in, 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 uh, to death camp, but he doesn't want to be rude about it for the villagers. And then... He yes, wants he wants the he, he wants to say the loud part quietly, David. He just yeah. wants to be civil. And then the SS officers come in and he's like, oh, does that make you feel like a big man shooting uh, people on the streets instead of sending them to camp? Just uh, And that's that's the that's I think the what we're saying is this movie. I think what we're saying is Michael Mann needs to stick to gangsters because that's yeah. clearly what he does best. Because they have a you... little bit more of an easier way to make them likable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does have a good speech uh, when he's yelling at Gabriel Byrne and he denounces Nazism. But again, I don't think like he denounces Nazism just because he looks at Gabriel Byrne and is like, does, again, does this make you happy being this cruel? And it's just, you were a Nazi officer until you met one that was even meaner than you. <laughs> like, I have no sympathy for you, sir. When if they wanted, if they wanted me to be more sympathetic for that, the sympathetic Nazi. Um, the first lines out of his mouth can't be. So, what's it feel like to? own the whole world or something like, you know, he like is talking to his, one of his junior officers and he's just like, well, you know, German Nazis rule the whole world. And that's, and then from there you're supposed to feel like, Oh, but he's a good one. Look, David, you have to remember he was just following orders. So. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of uh, the Nazi characters, did anyone pick up on the other Nazi uh, officer that was from another movie mm, i don't think so it's a movie we've referenced a couple times is there somebody raiders, the somebody raiders. from raiders is in yeah. this uh his name is wolf kaler he's on imdb but he's the uh the nazi that stands next to um 
Oh shit, he is. Uh, Belloc, uh, and then the the creepy the creepy guy with the burn on his hand. Oh, the he uh, yeah, he's like he's like the third guy that you don't yeah. really give a fuck about. Yeah. Uh, who who <laughs> is he in this? I didn't notice. He's him just this. an SS officer, but the moment I picked up on it was when they barged into the inn and uh, took Scott Glenn for questioning before they shoot him. He's like front and center and is holding a gun to Scott Glenn and is like, we're, we're, we're taking you for interrogation. And it, it came off very poorly uh, in acting. And I was like, oh, I know that guy. I saw his face get melted before. <laughs> Apparently he's still acting as of like 2020. Um, and Still just uh, playing Nazis? Okay, play Nazis. He was, well, he was he was recently in Wonder Woman as a German commander. Oh, there you so, go. <laughs> World, 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 World not, War I. Not Nazi. Not a Nazi. Yeah. yeah. But but he was in a 2012 movie called Cockneys versus Nazis as a Nazi <laughs> officer. Oh my uh, goodness! This and man. he's been in some like video games and stuff. So uh, yeah, he's he's Imagine riding being that wave. Typecast as a Nazi. Yeah. Wait wait, was that made? Well, by if the you're Sunday a German movie? actor, that's you know yeah. it's gonna happen. <laughs> that's like even uh, Ian McKellen has been either I think a Nazi or like he, he a, was a Nazi in App Pupil. At pupil, and I think he played Hitler in like a TV movie. I was I was just scrolling through to see because I know he also played, uh, you know, like Magneto was in a Jewish yeah, concentration yeah. camp. So there's ties to that. He just seems to consistently end up being a character that was in World War II or has ties to World War II or was a Nazi. Is Cockneys versus Nazis? In the same um, universe as Cockneys versus Zombies? I don't know, David. Uh, you can do some research on that and suggest we will do it for the show, and I will turn you down. <laughs> Cockneys versus Zombies was not the worst. It was not Birdemic. <laughs> hey, we saw a worse movie than Birdemic not too long ago. We watched Love on a Leash. Listen to our episode on that and or watch the movie. It is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Which just dropped today, the day we're recording this. Yes. Um, okay, uh, one thing. So we talked about some of this, a lot of the stuff that didn't work, but like the sound design, did we feel like some of the dialogue was pretty rough? Yeah. Yes. Well, one thing we haven't talked about was Tangerine Dream. I, yeah. I like the score well enough, although I don't know how much it fit the film. But it, I, it feels it more Blade Runnery, right? But yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it had kind of it, it fit more of that ethereal vibe that I think Man was going for. But he just doesn't know how to get out of the realism, and I think that just at times felt really it's, off with like some of the other moments of the of the film and, and when it was brought in. They. They also did the U.S. Uh, score for Legend, not the director's cut or European Okay, one. all right. And that's better than this one, but this was fun. I was actually thinking of Legend earlier, like when we were talking about like Michael Mann and just kind of floundering in this, and that it's like a fantasy-type movie that's not very good, and it has these slow-motion <laughs> sequences. And I'm thinking like, man, this is like Ridley Scott with Legend. Because, like, Legend isn't very good, and it has these dreamlike shots, and is fantasy horror-ish. So I forgot Tangerine Dream was involved in that, too. Um, it was mixed way too loud, too. It was like, I'm trying to understand yeah. Harrison Ford, Ian McKellen, <laughs> and and it's just like, since... Doo -doo 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 -doo. Yeah, music was up here, audio was down here, so there were a lot of times where I was like, huh? 
But the one, the one, the one line, the one garbled line that got me was when uh, Ian McKellen is like, once he gets turned young by the villain, we thought he was being killed, but he wasn't. And so it comes back to the scene. I don't know. His daughter runs in, or she wakes up, I guess, because she was in there. Um, but so he's actually saying, "I touched my. It touched my body." But I rewound it three times to see, like, is that actually like what he's saying? Because it does, like, it has to be. But it really sounded like it touched my butt, um, <laughs> and which is just a funny thing to hear from Ian McKellen. Um, but I think it was just a garbled it sound sound design. <laughs> In the atmospheric scenes, it was great. But yeah, it, it was a little bit much when anything else should have been heard. Uh, last like note I have is, I think I pulled this from IMDb. The writer of the original novel, F. Paul Wilson, was so unimpressed with Michael Mann's adaptation of his work that he wrote a short story called Cuts, in which a writer puts a voodoo curse on a director who has mangled his work. So, uh, so that's <laughs> out there in the world. You know what uh, else is and, out there in the world? A keep board game. Oh, okay. Did you guys see that? Uh, no. I, I did not investigate into that, no. It's like a but... Dungeons & Dragons RPG-style uh, board game. So From next... the time or since? From the time. Okay. Here. So we'll have to find it, Linton, and that can be our next board game night. Oh. Character, character classes are Force of Good, <laughs> Nazi Sympathetic, Nazi Evil. Uh, Jesus Sex. <laughs> and Molasar. Your character class is just Molasar. <laughs> so, most of the time when you see someone without a reflection, they're evil, right? So, Scott Glenn's character doesn't have a reflection. Oh, I didn't yeah, catch I didn't that. notice. Oh, yeah, I, I rewound it a couple of times to make sure. When he goes to, like, uh, when he's talking to Ava. It uh, kind of pulls back, and you see that she's. You see her reflection in the mirror, but he's standing in front of her. So you should be able to see him in the uh, mirror reflected shot, too. And I was just like, so is he the bad guy? I thought we had a bad guy. See, when he first showed up, it was like, I think immediately following something with Malasar's appearance, mm-hmm. like reemergence. And then we cut to Scott Glenn, wherever the fuck he is, whatever he's doing, whatever accent or nationality he's supposed to have. Um, And his eyes, he's like in bed and his eyes light up and glow. And my first thought was, oh, Malasar just took over this guy's body. Like, that's what I thought was happening. I thought like he's somehow where however this happened, he has assumed this form. I did not jump to this is the counterbalance to Malasar. So I was just very confused for a while of what Scott Glenn was supposed to be doing. I kind of assumed at the very least he was like an agent of evil for a while. And then eventually it was like, okay, he's not doing anything like bad, I guess. So no. He also had neon green blood, Mm -hmm. which again, the good guys don't normally have neon green blood. That's reserved for xenomorphs and predators. Right. There's a there's a fun uh, fan theory in there to say like Molazar did nothing wrong, right? He just killed a bunch of Nazis and got forced back into the keep by by uh, Scott Glenn. Yeah, mm-hmm. I. And it could have been Scott Glenn's character making the whole town crazy. Yeah, I think Molazar was they part of the Allies. Actually, they don't go crazy until Scott Glenn shows up. We're onto something. 
Same thing could be said for Lord Zed. And he just keeps getting picked on by them dang Power Rangers. Yeah, that ending, that ending where Scott Glenn... I like that you're delivering that like a Dukes of Hazard. Them old Duke boys. <laughs> that old Lord Zed just, just getting up to his hijinks yet again. He's inside out too. I think him and Molotar, Molotar have a lot in common. Can, can we... Can we just like touch on the ending a little bit? Because yes, that was please. when I was I was already annoyed, and that ending when when it started to end, I was like, I am a fan of MST3K, and I was dying for those little guys in the right hand corner to be <laughs> mocking this to get me through the last of this. When he when he opens up this like enig- enigma box that he's been carrying around this entire movie. Scott Glenn's character, and it's revealed that he has an aluminum pipe. And you're like, whoa! Scott Glenn with a pipe in the uh, He's got a board with a nail in it. It glows purple for a moment, so it's not just a regular pipe. And then he just, like, points it at Molazar and shoots him with purple yeah. light, and he's just like, ah, I lost, I'm dead, I lose. No, he attaches the uh, talisman to it first. Yeah, that's that, true. That's a very so. How was he going to defeat him if uh, Ian McKellen didn't go dig up that talisman? Would he just hit him with the lead pipe and be like, "Back in there, back"? <laughs> I I would. I gotta tell you, I didn't like this movie, but if that's how the movie ended, it would have gotten an extra half star. <laughs> just, Ma, back, go. Oh, when your budget gets cut, you gotta you gotta improvise, Linton. Uh, kind of like kind of like uh, uh, Evil Dead part, uh, the original Evil Dead, when they start attacking the like the puppetry and it's just like you, know, you, and you start to see them kind of get deformed. Like, oh, that's clearly a puppet <laughs> kicked by a boot, <laughs> like that with Molazar. All right, uh, last last things we want to throw out here on uh, the keep. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh Molisar would have won had he just not told Ian McKellen to kill his daughter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Had he just been like, ignore her and take three more steps, the he would have won. And also, it, the movie did end on a freeze frame. And I have a soft spot in my heart for movies that end on a freeze frame. I have a soft spot in my heart for movies that end on a happy freeze frame. I'm thinking <laughs> the one that comes to mind is uh, The Langoliers. Did you guys ever see that? <laughs> it's been years, but yeah. Ends on a freeze frame where they're back in like an airport with people and they all jump up in the air and then they freeze. And that now that's great. Now, a freeze frame of a, a woman who's like that purple guy who gave me that weird sex is sucked into a hole and my dad's old again freeze frame like i don't know what to do anymore nazis are still around <laughs> it was a very odd guess we better start running oh god i didn't even think of that the nazis are going to come for that town i feel like that what you brought up david like the that was actually a fun little question at the end there where he was doing like the whole kill your son abraham kind of thing and it was like, ooh, actually like a fun thought. And then, I, I mean, I just, it wasn't enough to get me anywhere with it. But yeah, that freeze frame at the end, um, I actually was like, don't end there. Yeah. Give me something else. Just don't end. Oh, oh, it ended. There's the credits. Okay, it's over. <laughs> I did hear, again, there was supposed to be a happy ending that was shot and was 
initially screened and then cut just for time. But it basically yeah. is a happy ending. Like the like I saw that because I was confused because like the villain is defeated. No, but the happier ending where she gets to like stay with the purple eyed weirdo. But I guess that's assuming that we know anything about <laughs> Scott Glenn or care about him or are rooting for him. Because I don't give a shit if he dies to save the world. Like, fine. That's happy for me. <laughs> like, you know. Less Scott Glenn. Okay. Because I expect it when I saw that, like, it didn't have it or supposedly didn't have a happy ending. I thought it was going to be like, oh, it's going to be like a bleak ending. Like, you know, like the characters all die or they lose or the, the villain gets away or something. It's like none of that happens. So as far as horror endings go. It's fairly happy. The, I mean, for the most part, Nazis died. I get. I guess it's. I guess it's a downer ending because Molossar promised to kill all the Nazis in Berlin, and he didn't get that chance. <laughs> Imagine that freeze frame <laughs> on go Hitler's full. scared face. Oh, uh, go full inglorious. A similar shot to. The, similar to the shot at the beginning where they have the really stretched out runes in the front and the thing in the back, except you just have like Berlin on the horizon <laughs> and you have the same like shooting gas going towards Berlin and then it freezes on that. And you're like, Ooh, I can't wait to see what happens can't next. Wait to keep, the two, yeah. <laughs> keep on keeping on. Cue the tangerine <laughs> dream music. All right, so uh, I think we can end it there. Uh, final thoughts here. Would you recommend The Keep? If you were like me and wanted to finish out the Michael Mann filmography and call it a day, sure. Otherwise, I would say skip it and move on to one of his other movies. Like Black Hat. I could recommend a solid 15 to 20 minutes of this movie. Is it on YouTube? No. Okay. (laughs) Like, like maybe if I had the time and skill to cut a 20 minute version of this movie of just the cool scenes, but nah, I, I, I really can't say anyone should watch, should make the effort to find this. I think that's the other thing is it's not an easy movie to find. So if you're going to go hunting for it, I don't it's, know if it's worth the hunt. It's it's out there. I'll, I'll dress where it's at. But yeah, I I agree. Nate, I liked everything up through the first two Nazis dying, and then it was all downhill. But that's not enough to go see the movie because I don't want to give you false hope like it did me. Yeah. <laughs> um, mock it with your friends. And that's about it. All right. This this is this is the rare unanimous do not watch this movie. Usually uh, we uh, we have some champions. Uh, of, of a given film and it's also pretty rare for me to come out and say uh, that I would not recommend um, that's largely because I pick a lot of stuff I already like and then even stuff that I've never seen uh, I can usually say like oh well, this is like terrible but fun and worth watching drunk uh, or you know like this uh, has at least interesting parts this one for me it's a very frustrating boring movie like I said it's it's a movie with Nazis and ancient monsters that is somehow boring and I don't know how you do that and by a talented filmmaker mm-hmm. I'm not a big Michael Mann fan but I have enjoyed a number of his movies uh, he's made some very solid movies this is not one of them um, so yeah I can't I like all I could say is yeah like if you could find some like clips on YouTube like a trailer or something to just see some of the cool imagery but I don't even think it's worth like 
sitting through the hour and a half to be like, oh, that smoke sequence was cool. Or, oh, I like how they did the monster effects. Like, it's just not worth it to me. So this is one of the rare ones where I say, like, no, I would not recommend The Keep. Um, but yeah, if you want to track down some imagery for it, um, that could be kind of neat. But all, all around across the board, it's just not, it's not there. Yeah, I would say if you're looking for an early Michael Mann film with Robert Prosky, check out Thief. Because that's a good one. <laughs> okay. I haven't seen that one. I didn't know he was in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So uh, that takes us to Can I Find This? So this movie is on DVD. Uh, as of a few years ago, they put it on DVD for the first time. And I was seeing it looked like it was on like foreign DVD. I don't know if it's an on, on an American like region one DVD or not. But if you have a region free player or something, um, you would be able to see it. Uh, but there might be an American version. It's possible. No Blu-ray that I could see. Uh, and then for streaming, it is on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, YouTube, Microsoft, and Google Play as of this recording. So it is out there. There is the three and a half hour cut that will never see the light of day. From my understanding, uh, Michael Mann was asked about it a few years ago at some event. And like somebody asked, you know, would he ever consider like doing a longer cut of it? And I think he basically said like, no, you know, like they're just they didn't have the materials at the time to do it. And you know, you know, like, well, the studio stopped it obviously, but then like, I think the, the special effects was an aspect too. And he alluded to like, this is pre CGI days. So what they were able to do at the time compared to now. And then I'm sure a bunch of that footage is either like lost or deteriorated anyway. And I also think at about 79 years old or whatever he is, I'm sure he has no interest in revisiting this. So it, it said that he kind of was like, no, that's that's never going to happen. Uh, so you'll you'll never see a longer cut of this, most likely. Um, but uh, the 95 minute version is out there. All right. So that wraps us up for the keep. We will be back with a new crew and we are going to be looking at the 1980s film, The Company of Wolves, continuing our Halloween viewing. So see you then.